Chapter Eleven of Our Mr. Wren: The Romantic Adventures of a Gentleman by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Mr. Wren by Sinclair Lewis, Chapter Eleven he buys an orange tie the angus mere caravansai is so unyieldingly cheerful and artistic that it makes the ordinary person long for a dingy old-fashioned room in which he can play solitaire and chew gum without being rebuked with exasperating patience by the wall stencils and clever etchings and polished brasses it is adjectiferous the common room, which is uncommon for hotel parlour, is all in superlatives and chintzes. Istra had gone up to her room to sleep, bidding Mr. Wren do likewise and avoid the wrong bunch at Caravanserai. For besides the wrong bunch of interesting people there were, she explained, our right bunch of working artists. But he wanted to get some new clothes to replace his rain-wrinkled ready-maids. He was tottering through the common room, wondering whether he could find a clothing shop in Angusmere, when a shrill gurgle from a wing-chair by the rough-brick fireplace halted him. "'Oh, Mr. Wren!' there sat Mrs. Statinius, the poet-lady of Olympia's rooms in Great James Street. "'Oh, Mr. Wren, you bad man, do come sit down and tell me all about your wonderful track with Istra Nash. I just met dear Istra in the upper hall. Poor dear, she was so crumpled, but her hair was like a sunset over mountain peaks, you know, as Yeats says. A stormy sunset were her lips, a stormy sunset on doomed ships.' only of course this was her hair and not her lips and she told me that you had tramped all the way from london i've never heard of anything so romantic or no i won't say romantic i do agree with dear olympia isn't she a magnificent woman so fearless and progressive didn't you adore meeting her she is our modern joan of arc such a noble figure i do agree with her that romantic love is passe that we have entered the era of glorious companionship that regards varietism as exactly as romantic as monogamy but but where was i i think your gypsying down from london was most exciting now do tell us all about it mr wren first i want you to meet miss saxonby and mr gutch and dear yelena dorshetsky and mr howard bancock binch of course you know his poetry and then she drew a breath and flopped back into the wing-chair's muffling depths during all this mr wren had stood frightened and unprotected and rain-wrinkled before the gathering by the fireless fireplace wondering how mrs statinius could get her nose so blue and yet so powdery despite her encouragement he gave no fuller account of the gypsying than why uh, we just tramped down till russian jewish yelena rolled her ebony eyes at him and insisted yes you must tell us about it now yelena had a pretty neck colored like a cigar of mild flavor and a trick of smiling 
She was accustomed to having men obey her. Mr. Wren stammered, "'Why, uh, we just walked and we got caught in the rain. Say, Miss Nash was a wonder. She never peeped when she got soaked through. She just laughed and beat it like everything. And we saw a lot of quaint English places along the road. Got away from all them tourists. Trippers, you know.' A perfectly strange person, a heavy old man with horn spectacles and a soft shirt, who had joined the group unbidden, cleared his throat and interrupted. "'Is it not a strange paradox that in travelling, the most observant of all pursuits, one should have to encounter the eternal bourgeoisie?' From the cockney Greek chorus about the unlighted fire. "'Yes! Everywhere!' "'Uh,' began Mr. Gutch, he apparently had something to say, but the chorus went on and just as swelteringly monogamic in Port Said as in Brum. Yes, that's so. Mr. Wren, thrilled Mrs. Statinius, the lady poet, didn't you notice that they were perfectly oblivious of all economic movements, that their observations never post-dated ruins? I guess they wanted to make sure they were admiring the right things, ventured Mr. Wren with secret terror. "'Yes, that's so,' came so approvingly from the Greek chorus that the personal pupil of Mittyford, Ph.D., made his first epigram. "'It isn't so much what you like as what you don't like that shows if you're wise.' "'Yes,' they gurgled, and Mr. Wren, much pleased with himself, smiled, all prints, upon his new friends. Mrs. Statinius was getting into her stride for a few remarks upon the poetry of industrialism when Mr. Gutch, who had been uh-ing for some moments, trying to get in his remark, winked with sly rudeness at Miss Saxonby and observed, "'I fancy romance isn't quite dead yet, you know. Our friends here seem to have had quite a romantic little journey.' Then he winked again. "'Say, what do you mean?' demanded Bill Wren, hot-eyed, fists clenched, but very quiet. "'Oh, I'm not blaming you and Miss Nash. Quite the reverse,' tittered the Gutch person, wagging his head sagely. Then Bill Wren, with his fist at Mr. Gutch's nose, spoke his mind. "'Say, you white-faced, unhealthy, dirt-minded lump, I ain't much of a fighter, but I'm going to mush you up so's you can't find your ears if you don't apologize for those insinuations.' "'Oh, Mr. Wren. He didn't mean. I didn't mean. He was just spoofing. I was just spoofing.' Bill Wren, watching the dramatization of himself as a hero, was enjoying the drama. "'You apologize, then?' "'Why, certainly, Mr. Wren. Let me explain.' "'Oh, don't explain,' snortled Miss Saxonby. "'Yes,' from Mr. Bancock Binch. "'Explanations are so conventional, old chap.' "'Did you see them?' Mr. Wren, self-conscious and ready to turn into a blind, belligerent Bill Wren at the first disrespect, the talkers sitting about and assassinating all the princes and proprieties, and, poor things, taking Mr. Wren quite seriously because he had uncovered the great truth that the important thing in sight-seeing is not to see sights. He was most unhappy, Mr. Wren was, and wanted to be away from there. He darted as from a spring when he heard Istra's voice from the edge of the group calling, "'Come here a sec, Billy.' She was standing with a chair back for support, tired but smiling. I can't get to sleep yet. Don't you want me to show you some of the buildings here? Oh, yes. If Mrs. Statinius can spare you. This by way of remarking on the fact that the female poet was staring volubly. G-g-g-g-g-g, said Mrs. Statinius, which seemed to imply perfect consent. Istra took him to the Belvedere on a little slope overlooking the lawns of Angusmere, scattered with low bungalows and rose gardens. It's beautiful, isn't it? "'Perhaps one could be happy here if one could kill all the people except the architect,' she mused. 
"'Oh, it is,' he glowed. Standing there beside her, happiness enveloping them, looking across the marvellous sward, Bill Wren was at the climax of his comedy of triumph. Admitted to a world of lawns and bungalows and big studio windows, standing in a belvedere beside Istra Nash as her friend. "'Mouse, dear,' she said hesitatingly, "'the reason why I wanted to have you come out here, why I couldn't sleep, I wanted to tell you how ashamed I am for having been peevish, being petulant last night. I'm so sorry, because you were very patient with me, you were very good to me. I don't want you to think of me just as a crotchety woman who didn't appreciate you. You are very kind, and when I hear that you're married to some nice girl, I'll be as happy as can be. Oh, Istra, he cried, grasping her arm, I don't want any girl in the world. I mean, oh, I just want to be let go round with you when you'll let me. No, no, dear, you must have seen last night. That's impossible. Please don't argue about it now. I'm too tired. I just wanted to tell you I appreciated. And when you get back to America, you won't be any the worse for playing around with poor Istra because she told you about different things from what you've played with, about rearing children as individuals and painting and tempera and all those things. And I don't want you to get too fond of me because we're different. But we have had an adventure, even if it was a little moist. She paused then, cheerily. Well, I'm going to beat it back and try to sleep again. Good-bye, Mouse dear. No, don't come back to the Cara Advanced, Sarai. Play around and see the Animales. Good-bye. He watched her straight, swaying figure swing across the lawn and up the steps of the half-timbered inn. He watched her enter the door before he hastened to the shops which clustered about the railway station, outside of the poetic preserves of the colony proper. He noticed as he went that the men crossing the green were mostly clad in Norfolk jackets and knickers, so he purchased the first pair of unrespectable unankle-concealing trousers he had owned since small boyhood, and a jacket of rough serge with a gaudy buckle on the belt. Also he actually dared an orange tie. He wanted something for Istra at dinner. A surprise, he whispered under his breath, with fond babying. For the first time in his life he entered a florist's shop. Normally, you know, the poor of the city cannot afford flowers till they are dead, and then for but one day. He came out with a bunch of orchids, and remembered the days when he had envied the people he had seen in florist's shops actually buying flowers. When he was almost at the caravanserai, he wanted to go back and change the orchids for simpler flowers, roses or carnations, but he got himself not to. The linen and glassware and silver of the caravanserai were almost as coarse as those of a temperance hotel, for all the raftered ceiling and the etchings in the dining-room. Hunting up the stewardess of the inn, a bustling young woman who was reading Keats energetically at an office-like desk, Mr. Wren begged, "'I wonder could I get some special cups and plates and stuff for high tea tonight? I got a kind of party.' "'How many?' The stewardess issued the words as though he had put a penny in the slot." just to kind of a birthday party mendacious mr wren certainly of course there's a small extra charge i have a royal satsuma tea service practically royal satsuma at least and some special limoges i think royal satsuma would be nice and some silverware surely and could we get some special stuff to eat what would you like why mendacious mr wren as we have commented he put his head on one side, rubbed his chin with nice consideration, and condescended. What would you suggest? For a party high tea, why, perhaps, consomme, an omelette bergerac, and a salad, and a sweet, and, and café diable. 
we have a chef who does french eggs rather remarkably that would be simple but yes that would be very good gravely granted the patron of cuisine at six for two as he walked away he grinned within gee i talked to that omelette bird's rack like i'd known it all my life other surprises for istra's party he sought let's see suppose it really were her birthday wouldn't she like to have a letter from some important guy he queried of himself he'd write her a make-believe letter from a duke which he did purchasing a stamp he humped over a desk in the common room and with infinite pains he inked the stamp in imitation of a postmark and addressed the letter to lady istra nash mouse castle suffolk someone sat down at the desk opposite him and he jealously carried the task upstairs to his room he rang for pen and ink as regally as though he had never sat at the wrong end of a buzzer after half an hour of trying to visualize a duke writing a letter he produced this lady istra nash mouse castle dear madam we hear from our friend sir william wren that some folks are saying that to-day is not your birthday and want to stop your celebration so if you would need somebody to make them believe to-day is your birthday we have sent our secretary sir percival montague sir william wren will hide him behind his chair and if they bother you just call for sir percival and he will tell them permit us dear lady nash to wish you all the greetings of the season and in close we beg to remain as ever yours sincerely duke vere de vere he was very tired when he lay down for a minute with a pillow tucked under his head he was almost asleep in ten seconds but he sprang up washed his prickly eyes with cold water and began to dress he was shy of the knickers and golf stockings but it was the orange tie that gave him real alarm he dared it though and went downstairs to make sure they were setting the table with glory befitting the party as he went through the common room he watched the three or four groups scattered through it they seemed to take his clothes as a matter of course he was glad he wanted so much to be a credit to istra returning from the dining-room to the common room he passed a group standing in a window recess and looking away from him he overheard who is the remarkable new person with the orange tie and the rococo buckle on his jacket belt the one that just went through did you ever see anything so funny his collar didn't come within an inch and a half of fitting his neck he must be a poet i wonder if his verses are as jerry-billed as his garments mr wren stopped another voice and the beautiful lack of development of his legs it's like the good old cycling days when every draper's assistant went bank holidaying i don't know him but i suppose he's some tuppenny heppenny illustrator or perhaps he has convictions about fried bananas and dines on a bean saute oh angusmere shades of angus not at all when they look as gentle as he they always hate the capitalists as a militant hates a cabinet minister he probably dines on the left ear of a south african millionaire every evening before exercise at the barricades i say look over there there's a real artist going across the green you can tell he's a real artist because he's dressed like a navvy and mr wren was walking away across the common room quite sure that everyone was eyeing him with amusement and it was too late to change his clothes it was six already he stuck out his jaw and remembered that he had planned to hide the letter from the duke in istra's napkin that it might be the greater surprise he sat down at their table he tucked the letter into the napkin folds he moved the vase of orchids nearer the centre of the table and the table nearer the open window giving on the green he rebuked himself for not being able to think of something else to change he forgot his clothes and was happy at six fifteen he summoned a boy and sent him up with a message that mr wren was waiting and high tea ready 
The boy came back muttering, "'Miss Nash left this note for you, sir, the stewardess says.' Mr. Wren opened the green and white caravansai letter excitedly. Perhaps Istra, too, was dressing for the party. He loved surprises just then. He read, "'Mouse, dear, I'm sorrier than I can tell you, but you know I warned you that bad Istra was a creature of moods, and just now my mood orders me to beat it for Paris, which I'm doing on the 517 train. I won't say good-bye. I hate good-byes. They're so stupid, don't you think? Write me sometime. Better make it care american express company paris because i don't know yet just where i'll be and please don't look me up in paris because it's always better to end up an affair without explanations don't you think you have been wonderfully kind to me and i'll send you some good thought forms shall i i n he walked to the office of the caravanserai blindly quietly he paid his bill and found that he had only fifty dollars left he could not get himself to eat the waiting high tea there was a 714 train for London. He took it. Meantime, he wrote out a cable to his New York bank for a hundred and fifty dollars. To keep from thinking in the train, he talked gravely and gently to an old man about the brave days of England when men threw quoits. He kept thinking over and over to the tune set by the rattling of the train tracks. Friends. I got to make friends. Now I know what they are. Funny some guys don't make friends. Mustn't forget got to make lots of em in new york learn how to make em he arrived at his room on tavistock place about eleven and tried to think for the rest of the night how deeply he was missing morton of the cattle boat now that now that he had no friend in all the hostile world in a london a b c restaurant mr wren was talking to an american who had a clipped moustache brisk manners a knight of pythias pin and a mind for duck shooting hardware selling and cigars no more england for mine the american snapped good-humouredly i'm going to get out of this foggy hole and get back to god's country just as soon as i can i want to find out what's doing at the store i want to sit down to a plate of flapjacks i'm good and plenty sick of tea and marmalade why i wouldn't take this fool country for a gift no sir me for god's country sleepy-eye brown county minnesota you bet you don't like england much then mr wren carefully reasoned like it like this damp crowded hole where they can't talk english and have a fool coinage say that's a great system that metric system they've got over in france but here why they don't know whether kansas city is in kansas or missouri or both right as rain that's what a fellow told me for all right ever hear such nonsense and tea for breakfast not for me no sir i'm going to take the first steamer with a gigantic smoke puff of disgust the man from sleepy eye stalked out jingling the keys in his trousers pocket cocking up his cigar and looking as though he owned the restaurant mr wren picturing him greeting the singer tower from an incoming steamer longed to see the tower gee i'll do it he rose and from the table in the basement of an a b c restaurant he fled to america he dashed upstairs fidgeted while the cashier made his change rang for a bus whisked into his room slammed his things into his suitcase announced to it wildly that they were going home and scampered to the northwestern station he walked nervously up and down till the liverpool train departed suppose istra wanted to make up and come back to london was a terrifying thought that hounded him he dashed into the waiting-room and wrote to her on a souvenir postcard showing the abbey called back to america will write address care of souvenir company twenty-eighth street but he didn't mail the card once settled in a second-class compartment with the train in motion he seemed already much nearer america and 
humming to the great annoyance of a lady with bangs he planned his new great work the making of friends the discovery some day if istra should not relent of somebody to go home to there was no end to the societies and lodges and stuff he was going to join directly he landed at liverpool he suddenly stopped at a post-box and mailed his card to istra that ended his debate of course after that he had to go back to america he sailed exultantly one month and seventeen days after leaving portland end of chapter eleven read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com dot dot com